Wow, thank you, Sydney Grafton. What a blessing that was today to hear from you. And thank you, everyone uh, who has logged in to be with us today in our virtual service. We pray that you had an amazing time with your families through Thanksgiving and enjoyed all the great food that we all have during this season. Didn't overdo it, uh, but there's always tomorrow. You can start Monday on your, your new exercise program and burn a few of those calories. We uh, made the decision to move toward a virtual only service for today with the rising of cases, not only in our area, but over the whole nation around the world. Um, obviously, it is a time of concern, and we want to uh, keep our focus and our trust in God while exercising every bit of precaution and common sense we possibly can uh, in order to just uh, keep our congregation safe. Uh, we really felt like that it was best to go to a virtual service today. We'll be making an announcement uh, regarding uh, the rest of the month of December. Uh, right now, it's looking very much like it will be virtual as well. And so if you would just please stay tuned to all of our social media platforms, to our uh, Victory Wired website, and you can keep up with what is happening. Um, though we will not be temporarily not be meeting at our location, we want you to know that ministry does go on and we're available. Just give the church phone, um, uh, give us a ring and leave a message. We'll be more than happy to follow up with you. We can arrange a Zoom uh, prayer time or conference call if we need or FaceTime on our phones. We want to do everything we can to continue to minister to you, especially if your family is dealing with this. A number of our people in our congregation are either dealing with it in their families or they're quarantined, and it had started to affect every one of our teams, our greeters, our ushers, uh, certainly our children's ministry, and so that was the basis of our decision. We uh, ask that you would just pray for us and pray for all of our family and friends. Be mindful of those. Let's, let's really step up our game, believers, church, to do all that Jesus commanded us to do, to love our neighbors. So check on those around you, especially the elderly, and let's join our hearts in faith and prayer together. We are starting uh, a new series today because this is the opening of the season of Advent. Advent is a time of preparation for the second coming of the Lord. When we talk about Jesus coming as a baby in a manger, we refer to his first Advent, his first appearance, his first coming. And so Advent explores four consistent themes, actually five. It is hope, love, joy, peace, and then Christmas Eve, we, we normally do a service that is dedicated to the subject of light, light that has come into the darkness in the world, the light of God that has shined in our hearts. And so this morning, this first Sunday of Advent, we're talking about hope. I want to bring you the beginning of a new series uh, just based on everything that we're dealing with, with, with the pandemic of COVID-19, with a cry for social justice among a number of uh, folks in our communities around our nation. We've seen protests, and obviously this is a, gray, uh, a day of great confusion in politics. Everything seems to be more divided, more polarized than it's ever been before. And so I'm going to step to the side so you can get a good glimpse of this graphic. The title of our, our Advent series is called When It's Not a Wonderful Life. You probably have seen multiple times. I grew up watching this movie with Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. 
uh, as George Bailey and his wife, head of the Bailey Savings and Loan there in Bedford Falls. And what, a, what an amazing movie which shows the importance of how one person can affect so many others, not only in our community, but in the world. You remember the movie of George basically being in a time of great discouragement, depression, because of a financial crisis that wasn't his fault. Uh, his uncle had basically misplaced several thousand dollars, and Mr. Potter, who owned the, the city particularly, who had it locked up, uh, his, his person found it in the newspaper, and he was doing everything he, can, he could to shut George and the Bailey Savings and Loan down, and the whole community, after George sort of had an epiphany, wandering around during the evening, wishing that his life had never started, and Clarence the angel shows up and says, I'm going to show you what this community would be like had you not been here, George. And it's the power of the influence of one person. I, I, I saw a meme recently, maybe it's a bad joke, but you can probably see the humor in it. They said, the person that thinks that one man can't change the world has never eaten an undercooked bat. Certainly, COVID-19 has affected all of us because of its origin in China, allegedly based on its beginning regarding that. And so today, in the first of this rest of this month, um, I'll be doing the whole Advent series myself in this series called When It's Not a Wonderful Life. And the title of the message today is called Finding Hope in Pandemics, Protests, and Politics. I believe that God always gives his people a glimpse of hope in the middle of difficulty, in the middle of circumstances, especially over which we have no control. Let me just say this, we do have control over the choice we make into whom we put our trust. And that is to remind you today, this message is not going to be information packed, it's really going to be more about inspiration. It's what we would probably call an exhortation to stir us up to hope, to find hope in the middle of all of the circumstances that we're facing. My text is found in the Old Testament prophet of Jeremiah. You remember the story, children of Israel had been carried into Babylon and it was going to be a 70 year period of captivity. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. This is been on bumper stickers and on refrigerator magnets and on you know, Christian trinkets of all kinds. And it's been cherry-picked and plucked out of the middle of a text which speaks to the struggle that the people of God are going to face. Yet in the middle of it, they're encouraged to remember this. I'm just going to get this one verse. The, the prophet says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And Jeremiah is speaking the word of God. Thus saith the Lord. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. The King James says it this way, I know the thoughts that I have toward you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. And so we want to recognize this morning that in the middle of all of the stuff that we're dealing with, rising case numbers in a crazy pandemic that's gone on for months and months and months now. We're all, we're all quarantined, so to speak. In the middle of this, I want to inject a little bit of hope into you. In the middle of the cries for social justice from some of our, our friends, the people of color, African Americans, crying out for changes in police reform. Uh, folks just asking to be treated fairly in our nation. Protests that 
have started out based on a righteous cause and have turned into robbing and looting and burning and destroying, which is certainly not a righteous way to go about it. And then in the middle of all of this, just the craziness that we're facing with our election right now, uh, with a president who refuses to concede, uh, with, with a president-elect that's clearly won by four million votes, and I'm not going to chase that rabbit down that trail. Regardless of which side you're on, uh, there would be folk that would take a disagreement, and that's what I don't want. I want us to find common ground. I want us to find common hope and recognize that in the middle of this that God still has a heart's desire toward you for a future and a hope. I preach with one thing. It's a repeated phrase or set of phrases that will make sure that the bottom line of this message gets lodged into your heart. It gets planted like a seed in the soil of your soul. And my one thing is this. Biblical hope is the confident expectation that God will do what He promised. Someone once said that it's based upon his character and his nature. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. Biblical hope is confident expectation that God will do what he promised. Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to bring the word of the Lord into the lives and the living rooms across technological devices, computers and iPads and tablets and phones and all of these various mechanisms that people are using to be able to see what we're bringing and saying today. I pray that beyond and outside of that and transcendent from that, that your Holy Spirit would move and bring encouragement and strengthen, oh God. Be with those in their homes who are suffering from COVID-19 or with family members that are they're nursing back to health, those that are quarantined that have been exposed to it. Lord, those that are out of work, that have lost their jobs, industries that have been stricken by uh, the, the shutdown and the lockdowns in various areas. Lord, I just pray that you would give a sense of hope and expectation to turn our hearts to you, even as the psalmist said, why, oh my soul, are you so downcast? Put your hope in the Lord. Put your trust in the Lord. And God, we turn today to do that. We look to you. We don't understand. We don't have words to describe some of the things that we're feeling. People are struggling with depression and Lord, just overwhelmed at the weight of the circumstances we're facing in the middle of a pandemic. Lord, the protests that are around us, the, the politics and all this stuff. We ask you, Father, to give us a moment to pause and say, Lord, we put our trust in you. Let hope increase. Let it arise. In Jesus' name we pray. Obviously, the current state of things that we're facing are, I can say it in this way, never in my life. Never in my lifetime have I seen a nation so divided, such a, a sense of hostility, uh, words that are just used flippantly on, from one cable channel to the next, uh, the demonization of people that I think on both sides are good human beings. And I, I really want to see that turn. I've seen this pandemic do some good things for us in that it has brought us back to the realization of the importance of our priorities. We have, by virtue of sometimes state demands or mandates, spent more time at home. We've spent more time with our families. For most people, that's been a good thing. For some, it's not been good. For some, they've experienced an increase in uh, verbal and physical abuse. God be with those families and those children that endure that. 
breaks my heart to even fill the air with the words that describe those kinds of things, but those are things that are being faced by people in our own community and in this nation. In the middle of the current state of things that we face, I want to tell you that we have and we serve a God of promise when it's not a wonderful life, when things are not going well. Jeremiah was prophesying to a nation that had lost a sense of hope because they had been carried away into captivity into a foreign land, hundreds upon hundreds, thousands of miles away from Israel, over into Babylon. The temple had been destroyed. The gold and the silver had been looted. A sense of destiny and national purpose was lost. People were in a place of hopelessness. And Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, declared the word of the Lord and said, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. And I want you to know that what we're talking about this morning is about biblical hope. Hope, hope is not just gritting my teeth with a forced positive outlook. Because there are times when, when you feel like, you know, I, I can't make lemonade out of this. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm out of the lemonade business. I don't have the ability to take this sour circumstance that is multiplied over and over and over in my life and make lemonade, make it something sweet. And there are times when we all face those kinds of circumstances. Personally, I have known what it is to look up through the bottom of the barrel in a place of hopelessness and have to look up and say, God, I don't know that I even have any hope, but I look to you because you're the God of hope. And I want you to know as long as there is breath in your lungs, there is hope. Somebody said one time you can go about 40 days without food. You can go about 10 days without water, three days or so, you know, maybe just a few days without sleep. You can go for a couple of minutes without air, without oxygen. But you really can't live life in any sense of fullness and enjoyment without hope, not even for one second. And if you're in a place of hopelessness this morning, I want to point your direction and your attention to look up to the Lord. To say to your soul, don't be so downcast, but put your trust in the Lord. Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, gives us the very first promise that God made. Remember, biblical hope is the confident expectation that God will do what He promised. And the very first promise that appears in the Bible happens in the location where the first sin occurred. Where rebellion, where high treason occurred in the garden with Eve and Adam listening to the voice of the serpent and partaking of a tree that was restricted from them, prohibited. God said, everything in this garden is yours. 99.999% of everything here is yours, but I've marked one thing for me. This is prohibited. It was the tithe principle in the garden. God was saying, all of this is yours. Take it, enjoy it. But this one thing is mine. Leave this alone. And obviously the enemy drew Eve and then drew in Adam and they partook of it. God came walking in the garden, the scripture says, in the cool of the day. The Hebrew says, in the spirit of the day. And he says, Adam, where are you? You know, when God asks a question, it isn't because he doesn't know the answer. God's GPS wasn't failing that day. He knew where Adam was geographically. He was saying relationally, Adam, something doesn't feel right. Where are you in your heart, in your spirit with me? Because I feel distance has come. And so Adam comes out from behind the bushes with some leaves sewn on him, Adam is, and Eve as well, because they recognize their nakedness. And a, 
uh, a dialogue pursues or ensues and goes on. And in that spot, I wrote a poem a number of years ago, sitting in the loft of uh, my house at Carlisle. When uh, the kids were little, Drew was about six or so, Abby had just been born. And I was sitting up in the loft of that little two-story white house on the corner there of Carlisle and Balfour, and I took out my pen and began to write. And I was talking about the promise. It was the title of the thing was called The Promise. It says, while in that spot, while on that spot and in that place, God made a promise to Adam's race. This one you blame and are in strife will bear the seed of eternal life. God was saying to Adam that Eve, the one that was at enmity between the two of them, literally was going to bear the seed, the Messiah. This is what the Word of the Lord says. God speaks in Genesis 3.15. This is called the protoevangel. It's the very first announcement of the gospel in seed form. God says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. God was saying in millennia down the genealogical line, what's going to begin at this point in Eve's womb is going to several millennia from now, show up as a baby in a manger in Bethlehem, this seed of the woman that will bruise the head of the serpent. He's saying there is one who is coming who will get the victory. Hear this. In the middle of your struggle, God has the conclusion. In the spot where Adam and Eve sinned, God showed up and made a promise in that place to Adam's race. In the place of your pain, the Lord has peace. Tangled up in your problem, the Almighty has already placed the solution, knotted up in the middle of all that junk you're going through. In the middle of your struggle and your addiction, God has already given deliverance. In the spot where you struggle, in the spot where Adam and Eve rebelled and broke the, the commandment of God, God showed up and gave the answer, showed up and gave the promise which showed up several thousand years later in the person of Jesus Christ. Hear this. In the agony of defeat, Jesus has already won the victory. He did that for us, and He will do that in us. He will do that for and in you. Why? Because biblical hope is the confident expectation that God will do what He promised. My second point this morning that I want to remind you of is that hope is a person. Hope is a person. That person is Jesus. All through the Old Testament, the, the, the changing and the development of all the chapters, we see God will pull back the veil of the curtain once in a while and give us a glimpse of this coming Mashiach, this coming Messiah, this one who will set wrong things right. He showed up in Genesis 22 as the ram caught in the thicket, the one who would take the place of, 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 uh, of Isaac, Abraham's son, the one who would die as the sacrificial substitute. And that's Jesus who became our substitute. And there are hundreds upon hundreds of Bible stories in the Old Testament that are not just cool stories, but they're prophetic signposts pointing to this Messiah that is to come because all of them are fulfilled in Him. Point number two, hope is a person and His name is Jesus. Isaiah chapter 9, in this wonderful Advent season, this Christmas season, we like to emphasize Advent, recognition of Jesus' first coming, His first advent, advent as a babe in the manger in Bethlehem, because we also long for His second coming. We know that He's coming back 
as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He came the first time and he was revealed as the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. But this babe in Bethlehem grew up and died on a cruel cross and said, he said, I've paid it. I've paid it all. It's finished. The price is fully paid. And that man said, if you don't follow me and lay down your lives, you're none of my disciples. And so the baby of Christmas is something that everybody loves, but we must recognize that he's not just a baby anymore. That baby grew up and is the full-grown son of God. He sits right now at the right hand of the Father. The Scripture says <coughs> in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. Hear this as an encouragement this morning. This pandemic, these protests, this confusion in our politics and the state of our democracy is not going to go on forever. He gives uh, a description specifically, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. This is the very path of ministry that Jesus would take several thousand years, actually several hundred years later, about 700 years after Isaiah prophesied it. Verse 2 in Isaiah 9, he says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. That's Jesus. For those who live in a land of deep, deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery. To my brothers and sisters that are crying out for social justice in these days, it won't last forever. God will bring deliverance. God will bring freedom. God will bring righteousness and equity and justice. For the, you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. Verse 5, the boots of the warrior and the uniforms blood-stained by war will all be burned and they will be fuel for the fire. And here's the familiar passage you've been waiting for. It all sounds strange. Well, because we don't read that regularly. But you know this part. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment, King James says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Wow. Folks, that happened 2,000 years ago when a baby laid down in a manger when he lived a perfect, sinless, impeccable life for 33 and a half years, when he hung suspended on a cross on a Good Friday, when he arose from the grave on the third day, 40 days later ascended to heaven, and he anointed and poured out the Holy Spirit upon his church. And now the hope of a person has become the hope of the world because this Christ that we worship now is alive and living inside literally multiplied millions, yes, even billions of people that are alive and well on the planet, which make up what we call the universal church of Jesus Christ. Biblical hope is the confident expectation that God will do what He promised. That relies on two things. God is able. He can do what He said He would do. And God is good. He is willing to do what He said He would do. His character and His nature. 
My friend Jenna Alcorn says it this way, that hope is no Christian wish. It's certainly no Christian wish, but it is the, it is the confident expectation that God will do what He said He would do based upon His character and His nature and His ability. First of all, thank God for that first promise that happened in Genesis. Thank God that hope is a person in Jesus that we already know has come. We've seen His first advent. We are longing and preparing for His second advent. And my third and final point this morning as I finish is that Jesus has given us now the mission of carrying and being. It's, yes, Christ is the hope of the world, but let me tell you who has to carry that gospel, who has to carry that message, who has to be alive with the purpose of the mission of God today, and that is the church of Jesus Christ. So I want to make a bold declaration. I believe the church that is alive with the power and the presence of Jesus, that has the fire of the Holy Spirit in it, I believe the church is the hope of the world. We have to stand up in the middle of of demonization of people. I've said for years that the church is to bring the message of the kingdom of God and not to identify with one political party or another. And when I talk about the radical middle, I'm not saying that, that kingdom politics is always centrist because I believe God dwells in the whole spectrum. What I'm meaning is, is that the kingdom is transcendent. It is above all of that. It's, it's super over above. It's not left or right, but it's the whole spectrum. It's bigger than all of it. And so as believers, we have to embrace others that we don't agree with and recognize that we have so much more that we do agree with and pursue that hope. The church is the hope of the world. Listen to as we fast forward to the New Testament. In Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says in verse 25, he says, God has given me the responsibility of serving His church by proclaiming His entire message to you. This message was kept secret. Scripture says in the King James, this mystery was hidden for ages and generations. The Greek word mystery is musterion, which literally means a sacred secret. The New Living Translation says this message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted him to know that the riches and the glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Here it is right here. Listen. <coughs> this is the secret. Christ lives in you. He's not just a baby in a manger in Bethlehem any longer. Our Christmas nativity scenes may show that. And he's, he's no longer... The Messiah that is walking the roads of Galilee with 12 disciples. He's no longer the, the suffering Savior hanging on the cross. He's no longer the one in the tomb. He's come out of the tomb, thank God. But He's right now seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, Hebrews 1 says. Chapter 7, verse 25 said He is seated there where He ever lives to make intercession. Jesus is praying for you right now. The struggle you face the problem you're dealing with in that spot and in that place, God is making a promise to you. And if you can arise with a fresh dose of hope, with an injection of the Holy Ghost this morning in this first Sunday of Advent, November 29th, 2020, in this outrageously indescribable year where you're just looking for some good news because every time you turn around, it's just something else that's crazy happens. And I want to tell you, don't let your soul be downcast, but talk to yourself. We just came through a phenomenal series by Pastor Haley on dealing with fixing your thoughts. The problem that most people face with mental illness and depression 
is that they're listening to themselves instead of talking to themselves. Get up and talk to yourself. Talk back to the thoughts that are contrary to what you know are reality. We find reality in the Word of God. That in the middle of your weakness, that God's strength is perfected. That you're not a loser, but you're more than a conqueror. The greater one is on the inside of you. The Scripture says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 1 John 4.4 4. This message was kept secret for centuries. It says, and this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing His glory. Biblical hope is confident expectation that God will do what He promised. I believe in the middle of this day, the last thing we need to do is cower in the corner and just become a wallflower in the middle of our own struggles. But we need to arise and trust God and put our faith freshly in Him and lift our hearts to the Lord and say, God, I ask you to give me a word of encouragement that will fire my own life, that will fire me up so that I can be a blessing and I can influence others. Because even when life is not wonderful, when you've gotten word that the savings and loan is going to close and George Bailey may go to the poorhouse, yet God will send you a clearance to remind you that your life is significant and you do have influence. My, one of my mentors that I've read through books for a number of years, John Maxwell, said this, even the shyest person will in their lifetime influence over 10,000 people. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. Don't let the enemy lie to you in your place of despondency or discouragement. Get a hold of your soul and talk back to yourself and let some hope be injected into the veins of your soul because God is for you and God is with you and even bigger than that, God is in you. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. And because of that, God says that you and your life and the church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world because we're carrying the one who is hope and his name is Jesus. This morning, whatever you face, whatever you're dealing with, wherever you are, no matter what news you've gotten, we choose to believe the report of the Lord that God is able. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us and that power is the name of Jesus. Wherever you are, if you would bow your hearts with me please this morning and let's just go before the Lord in prayer. I believe God will touch. I believe God will strengthen. I believe God will lift you up and give you fresh hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you today in the name of Jesus that you take these words and you minister encouragement Lord, to those that are home today and worshiping, thank you for this wonderful song that we heard from Sydney today. All of my life you've been faithful, O oh God, and I sing about the goodness of God. Lord, the holiday we've just come through as we've eaten and celebrated and feasted with family, we just ask you, Lord, to, to multiply those feelings, those, those reminders of the hope that you have in front of us to give us a future and a hope. In the middle of captivity, God, you'll bless what we put our hands to. You'll cause the gardens to grow. Lord, you'll bring provision out of unexpected places. Be with my family and friends and those, Lord, who are struggling with their health, people who've lost their jobs. Let us arise as the church of Jesus Christ and come alongside our brothers and sisters and bring encouragement and bring a meal and, Lord, the things that they need. God, we ask you to strengthen your people. We put our trust in you. Soul, Put your trust in God. I speak to my own right now. We say these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Be blessed today. We love you. We ask that you would pray for us through this season. 
be, be sure to tune in in all of our uh, social media platforms. Check out our app that's free. Uh, check out VictoryWired.com, our website, to be able to see what's happening, what's going on through the holidays. We love you in Jesus' name. Be blessed.